And open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. We're in a series on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith. And uh, we've come through Sodom, we've come through Abimelech, and we come this morning to this exciting passage. Here we are, Genesis 21, verse 1. This is the word of God. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that your word does stand forever. And so, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask his help to comprehend your word this morning. And Father, to take the word with the sacrament, to give us a better understanding of our faith in Jesus Christ, the joy that we have, and the strength that comes from that joy. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The time had come, the appointed time. Our hundred-year-old hero, Abraham, is pacing nervously outside the tent. Inside, the 90-year-old heroine, Sarah, is in labor. Finally, the word comes, you have a son. And congratulations and high fives and shouts of joy fill the air as the entourage of Abraham and Sarah rejoice. Abraham embraces his longtime servant and friend, Eliezer, and tears stream down his weathered cheeks. This birth, followed by a long-ago-made promise to Abraham and Sarah, it's been long anticipated, at least 25 years. The promised child now has come, and Abraham has named him Isaac, that is, laughter. So here's our premise today. The reason we can be filled with joy today the reason we can be filled uh, with la- and laugh in a world that makes us weep is because the birth of Isaac, the birth of laughter, points to another promise, another descendant of Abraham, the birth of our eternal God the Father's Son, Jesus. This birth of laughter brings an end to that saga of Sodom in chapter 19, the sin of Abraham in chapter 20. The birth of Jesus will bring an end to sin's reign as God's grace burst forth upon us, pouring out more blessings than tropical storm Claudette's going to pour out rain. So, to see the joy, to celebrate the joy, and to laugh together, let's go to the text and to the table. First, note that the birth brings joy. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Friends, we have joy because God keeps his promises. 
The text goes at great length to emphasize that Sarah is bearing Abraham's son, a son promised while they were still living in Ur of the Chaldees. Despite all the odds against a 90-year-old woman having a child, she does because of God's intervention. And as he said two chapters ago, at the appointed time, God keeps his word. Now, many of you fathers will remember the birth of your first child. If it's been a while, maybe you remained outside. If you're my age or so, you began to get invited into the room uh, as customs change. And you remember the happiness and you remember the joy uh, from your firstborn and really from all your children. Uh, and how about our joy as a congregation at the birth of each child, at the birth of each grandchild? Uh, friends, that's the joy Abraham and Sarah have as they rejoice in God's gift of laughter, God's gift of Isaac, in accordance with God's word. And if today we find ourselves struggling, for whatever reason, to believe in the goodness of God, to believe in uh, the faithfulness of God, to believe in God's word, here we have an affirmation. God always keeps his promises. Uh, the promise that I'm with you to the end of the age. The promise that the Lord is my shepherd. They are always true. And then verse 3 tells us, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Again, the emphasis is Sarah bears Abraham's son. So we come to the name of a child. Now, naming children is usually a privilege that's reserved to the parents. We grow up, we hear and see a lot of names, and maybe as we grow up we begin to think and imagine, what if we ever had a child, what we would name them? Maybe we get a trial run at that when you get a pet. Um, uh, then the time of pregnancy comes and the discussion uh, gears up a little bit more, trying to come up with a perfect name. Remember Becky and I spending hours about it, talking about names, usually about a girl's name, which was a useless endeavor for us. Uh, but... Um, and these days, I admit that I sometimes shake my head when I hear the names of children. Uh, some people could use a baby name book, I think. Uh, but anyway, nonetheless, it is the privilege of parents to name their children, to practice hundreds of combinations and to change their minds. But for Abraham and Sarah, there's no debate. Now, they even know this baby's going to be a boy before the days of sonograms, all right? Uh, but their choice is taken away. God names this child. And unlike today when parents give names to children that they like the sound of or perhaps to honor somebody from a prior generation, Hebrew names always had meaning. They were descriptive of the person or something about the circumstances of their lives. We find way back in Genesis 17, 19 that God gives this baby a name rich in meaning. He laughs, or simply for us, laughter. And really it's sort of a surprising name. Why would that be? Well, I would imagine over the years, undoubtedly Sarah has shed a lot of tears about not having a child. Hagar had ridiculed her. And now Ishmael stands as a reminder to her for 13 years she's not had a child. As for Abraham, his name was changed from exalted father to the father of many nations. And he's undoubtedly had people snicker behind his back that that this God didn't have a son, then he had one son, and he's father of many nations. And then we have the fact that Abraham laughed when God told him about Isaac's birth. And Sarah laughed at the prospect of having a baby at the age of 90. 
Yet God chooses this name as a reminder of his grace, as a reminder that he is the true source of joy. Their baby's name is going to be a permanent reminder of their laughter, but also the laughter of everyone who hears that a 90-year-old woman's had a baby. I mean, we still laugh at that today, maybe a little nervously some, all right? Uh, uh, But God, by doing the unexpected for our benefit, uh, friends, brings joy and laughter. And see, doing the unexpected for our benefit, that's what grace is. And grace brings joy and laughter. And across the pages of Genesis, Abraham's demonstrated great obedience at times. As we saw in chapter 20, great failure. And here there's obedience. He doesn't choose the family name like Terah. He doesn't choose the name he likes, perhaps Noah, Adam. Rather than obedience to God, he names the child Isaac Laughter. And I love Sarah's song in response to this. You know, remember several weeks ago we looked at really one of the most awkward moments in the Bible. It's when a year prior to this, God came and he told Abraham that, that the birth of the child would be the next year. And you remember Sarah was eavesdropping inside the tent door and she, she heard that and she secretly laughed to herself. And then when God said, why did she laugh? She, she lied and denied it. And we read those words. God said, no, but you did laugh. And there was that awkward silence. And Sarah has not said a word in the text since then until now. And here's her response. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah sees that the joke is on her. And so she laughs. She sees God as her source of joy and that everybody will be shocked and laugh because of the birth of this baby. But let's be clear. Isaac's birth initially is known about by really very few people. In 2000 B.C. world, uh, news of a child's birth was not going to travel very far, maybe 10 miles at most. Even though Isaac's birth is part of God's plan, to reach the nations with the gospel. But we need to see, it's what this birth points to. And that is the birth of another descendant of Abraham, who will be the blessing to all the nations, and that is Jesus. Like Isaac, Jesus' birth was long promised. Like Isaac, Jesus' birth came about under improbable circumstances. People who laughed at the thought of a nine-year-old woman having a child will surely laugh at the thought of a virgin birth. And like Isaac, Jesus' birth will be little known at first, but it is, in fact, joy for the world. Genesis 3.15 promised a child who would come who would defeat Satan. Galatians 4.4 tells us, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman. Even as God knew the best time for Isaac to be born, God knew the best time in all of history for Jesus to be born and to carry out his ministry. And we get to hear what that ministry is all about simply in the name, Jesus, because it means Savior. And of course, Mary and Joseph did not choose that name either. God did. 
another thing that Isaac points to. So Joseph and Mary Beale, he named him that. Why? Well, the essence of his ministry is that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Later this morning, we're going to declare together from Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Friends, that's, that's a great reason to rejoice. We see the rejoicing first in Zechariah. We see it in uh, Mary's cousin Elizabeth. Uh, we see it in the song that Mary sings. We see it when the shepherds uh, return and glorify and praise God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. We see it with Simeon and with Anna and with the Magi. Why the rejoicing? Jesus will save us from our sins by paying the penalty for our sins at the cross so that we might go free. That, friends, is God doing the unexpected for us, for our benefit, and that's grace. And, friends, let's just pause to say now, every child is a gift from God, whom we celebrate and praise to God. Psalm 127.3 tells us, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Eve knew that when she and Adam named their children. When Cain was born, she said, I've a I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. When Seth was born, she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. When Jacob reunited with Esau, Esau asked Jacob, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And friends, even as God has a plan for Isaac, and God has a plan for Jesus, God has a plan and place and time for every child. Psalm 139 affirms this from conception to the grave. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You did me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. As a parent, a child is God's gift entrusted to us. God's word affirms again the preciousness of each child in all of his or her God-given uniqueness. Every child's special in God's gift. And children bring joy. Children bring laughter. We see that when we watch the small children sing. We see it in the exuberance of children that they have for living. We share the joy that children bring into our lives. And yet we live in a world that has declared war on children. The battle against preborn children has been raging now for a half a century. Today we have those who are just talking about feeling guilty about having children because of its environmental impact. Suggest that having children is somehow environmentally destructive. Yet we affirm that all children are God's gifts. And that God said in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To affirm this is to deny something else. That children belong to the state. They most emphatically do not. Friends, the great downfall of communism stems in part from the philosophical assumption which aimed to bring down the family. That same mindset is at work in our nation today, trying to redefine the family, trying to destroy the family. Yes, there are radical sociologists in this country that actually propose taking children from their parents at the age of six months and institutionalizing them. Friends, children are not the property of the state. 
Rather, what Abraham and Sarah do is claim God's covenant promises. Verse 4. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Again, obedience on Abraham's part. Circumcision is a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. As such, it's an outward sign of an inward reality, uh, marking who the people of God are. With this sign, Abraham and Sarah claim covenant promises on behalf of Isaac. The first is it's an agreement with God's assessment that Isaac is a sinner in need of a Savior, a Savior who will remove our sins. Each and every child, though a precious gift from God, is born a sinner because our father's sin passes down to us. And with this sign, Abraham and Sarah also anticipate God will provide a Savior. God, for his part, promises he himself will be that Savior. We saw that back in chapter 15. God himself promises to take the death penalty in our place that we deserve. So God's active in carrying out the specific promise in the coming of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who saved us by becoming one of us through the incarnation in Bethlehem, taking on human flesh, going to the cross to die. Amazing love. All what sacrifice. The Son of God given for me. Hence the joy we have. We're going to sing in a few moments, Jesus, my great high priest, offered his blood and died. My guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice beside. His powerful blood did once atone. Circumcision or baptisms, of course, are not enough. What they do is remind us that God's active. Jesus is our Savior from the penalty and power of sin. Jesus frees us to laugh and walk before him. And we're the only ones with the ultimate reason to laugh because we're going to spend eternity with God. And yes, a lot of people are laughing in the world now. But let me tell you, without Jesus, they will weep for all eternity. See, we not only have that future hope of eternity, but right now we have the joy of the Lord that's our strength We have the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in our hearts. Good. You're ready for Bible school in a month. Okay. All right. Uh, And because of that joy, hopefully we share the joy that God's given to us. Sarah did. God's made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. I mean, Sarah freely shares her joy. Now, to be sure, when she hears the name Isaac, it reminds her that she once doubted but also a reminder that she moved from doubt to faith in God's promises by His grace. And as a result, she's found great joy, such that she shares with everyone what God has done. Likewise, the shepherds may know abroad the things that were told them concerning this child. Simeon and Anna shared with whoever would listen the good news of Messiah's birth. And likewise, we're to share with others in the joy uh, that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. We're to share the good news of salvation, the good news of grace, that eternal life is a gift God gives to us. No, we cannot earn it. No, we never deserve it. But we simply receive it as a gift by repenting of our sins and believing that what Jesus did at the cross, he did for me. And then we want to show the love that our Father in heaven has shown us by sharing with others the joy we have found in Jesus. 
So what about us? Today, let's, let's rejoice as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Today, let this really be a proclamation of our joy. We spent four long weeks looking at the woes of Sodom. Uh, it was necessary. We have to grasp the depth of depravity that sin can bring. Likewise, our world today, it's a world of great pain. The pain is global. It's national. It's in our cities. Crimes on the increase across our nation. Hatred dominates the rhetoric. Fault-finding is now the national pastime. Quite frankly, people who do not have Jesus have no reason to laugh. They have no hope today. They have no hope for the future. Only despair. That should cause great sorrow for us. There is a time for us to, to mourn the sin around us. A time to lament what's happening. But not right this moment. Not right this time. I mean, think back to Good Friday and our rather somber celebration of the Lord's Supper, and appropriately so. There's a place for that, as Nehemiah said. But friends, may I suggest not today. Today's a day for rejoicing. Today's a day for laughter and joy as we celebrate that when we repent of our sins and trust Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Our death penalty is paid. Our guilt is laid on Jesus. And we are made his children. That's a true Father's Day celebration. We are children of the Heavenly Father who has saved us through the death of his Son. So it's a day of joy. We celebrate the birth of Isaac, the birth of Jesus, the birth of laughter and joy, the joy of the Lord that is our strength. So I would invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and members of the good of an evangelical church to come to the table. But he cautions us. Jesus does. This table is not for everyone today. Jesus says, if you're not trusting him for eternal life, please do not take the elements. But if you want to know his grace, if you want to know real joy, if you want a relationship with Jesus, realizing that he laid his life down for sinners, taking the penalty for sin, then see this as a time to pray and tell Jesus that, to place your trust in Jesus as you turn from your sin. And then talk with us after the service. Children not yet come to the, before the session should not yet partake, but if you have the desire, that's a good thing. Talk to your parents and talk to me about that. Now to all who are believers in Jesus, uh, we say come to the table. But the scripture says we've got to examine ourselves. Do we recognize the body of our Lord? And we take that two ways. First, if there are, if there are sins that we do not want to turn from, uh, we should not come. If we are finding joy in our sin, uh, we should not come. So we need to examine our hearts as to, as to why we find more joy in our sin than we find in Jesus. But if we need to strengthen the battle sin, if we need a reminder of the joy of the Lord that's ours in Christ, by all means, we come and we feast together. Likewise, we're the body of Christ. And we must be sure that, that we're in good standing with our brothers and sisters before coming. 
Let me say to those watching online, we, we miss you, and we know you miss the Lord's table. Uh, I would urge you to use this time, while you do not have the elements of the Lord's Supper, uh, like you would here, examine your life, confess and stern, turn from sin, and ask for strength for the journey. Let's each now take a moment and examine our, our hearts before God, confess our sins before Him. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that this morning you've made us yours through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son. You've made us to be children of the King of the universe. So, Father, we thank you that you've assured us that our sin's forgiven and that we belong to you. How grateful we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.